You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Today's cool fact of the day is that about 20 minutes ago, a bald eagle flew literally 15 feet over the balcony where I'm recording this podcast, which is awesome. I've switched the location in case you haven't noticed if you're watching on video. And for the next couple months, I will be recording Bulletproof Executive Radio in this amazing location on Vancouver Island. After that, we'll be moving into our permanent offices, which will be a full-on biohacking facility. So not a cool science fact of the day, but still, I saw a bald eagle and it was like this big. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Today's guest on the show is none other than David Gottfried, who is the founder of the Global Green Building Movement. He's a founder of the U.S. Green Building Council and the World Green Building Council. Now, you might wonder why would a show like Bulletproof Radio, where we've got high performance and executives and things like that, why would I have David on the show? The reason is that biohacking is the art of changing the environment around you 
so that the environment around you affects your performance. You also change the environment inside you from a gut biome perspective, from a hormone and a metabolic perspective, or even from like a software programming in the head. But bottom line is what's going on out here has a direct impact on what happens here and what happens here. And if you're on the radio, the here and here, I'm pointing to my head and my heart and my gut and basically my body. So if you don't pay attention to your surroundings, you're actually not paying attention to how you pay attention. And this is why I talk so much about the temperature of your room when you're when you sleep, about what toxins do to your focus and things like that. And here it is. I found out that David and I actually had met in person and we knew each other and I had no idea what an amazing guy he was. This is because David, in addition to being this amazing guy who I just described, is also somehow related to Dr. Sarah Gottfried, who is a regular attendee on the Bulletproof Show, a regular interviewee. So how cool is that? David, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Dave. It's so great to be here. And I knew about you before you even met me because uh, Bulletproof penetrated not only my wife's professional life, but into our kitchen with your coffee. And <laughs> you helped me finish my, my book, which is out uh, through your streaming pure coffee that would create this I don't know, this clarity that I didn't have with anything else. <laughs> I, I had no idea that you were actually using the coffee while you were finishing your book. Oh my goodness, that, that's so cool. I, I certainly, uh, we were just talking before the show, I finished the second draft of my manuscript back for the publisher at about 5 a.m. this morning. I stayed up all night doing the final final edits. Uh, so I'm definitely, we share that in common, having fueled some books with this coffee. Oh, that, that's cool, and, and I'm grateful for you mentioning that. That was great. Needless to say, your little charcoal pills uh, got me through some wine tastings. <laughs> oh, no kidding. If I'm going to have wine, I always do charcoal. That's that's just a requirement. So we've enjoyed it. Now we're doing the the butter and the coffee and the collagens. And so uh, oh, it's working for you. I, I love hearing that. All right. Your new book. I had a chance to go through it. Everyone... Uh, who hasn't heard of the book will probably be interested in it. So give us the title, give us the URL and all that stuff. And let's just jump in and talk about why you wrote a book about global green buildings and all of that. Sure. It's called Explosion Green. You can find it uh, at explosiongreen.com. You can learn more about it. And also it's at Amazon and the bookstores just came out early June. And at explosiongreen.com, we've got a free live Entheos conference, you can sign up for 40 interviews of green gurus. But Explosion Green is a memoir, and it's our 20-year story of the green building movement globally. And it's told through this rather awkward, self-deprecating character named David, <laughs> who uh, happens to be me. And it's the story going back 20 years of uh, first career, I was a real estate developer at the in the go-go 80s i call it in washington dc and uh, before that at school at stanford i studied solar engineering i fell in love with the sun most of us do uh sarah tells me we get vitamin d and uh we generally lock the sun out of buildings uh, we do get it in terms of daylight but we don't control the daylight but that sun can power and fuel cleanly the world and so this memoir starts from the early days as an engineering student into real estate development, the go-go 80s, very much non-green. 
and then goes through this 20-year story of founding the ASTM Green Building Standards Committee for the U.S., which trips into the U.S. GBC in 92. And that grows into the lead green building standard, those round plaques you see on buildings. We have 300,000 buildings now in 140 countries. And we grew with green building councils in 100 countries. So we think we're probably the largest green effort in the world. And we may have become or been the largest, fastest growing nonprofit in the world. And it's the story. It, it's a fascinating story because it shows how over the course of, we'll say only 20 years, which, which is a long time as a percentage of the human lifespan, but not actually that much time in the overall scheme of, of societal change, um, you've had a pretty big impact. Many people now have heard of LEED certified buildings, and you actually had the highest rating LEED platinum home in the world and helped to design the standard. And you're starting back in the, the pot smoking, uh, I guess it was the 80s, so maybe it was more cocaine snorting with only a little bit of pot, you know, go-go <laughs> 80s. Uh, but literally, no one in the 80s gave a rat's ass about the environment for the most part. I mean, I mean, you were at the fringe back then. And in, in the, the short period of time since then, I guess even early 90s, you've managed to, to create a global movement. And the story of how you did that is fascinating. And it included a lot of support from just a ton of people. How did you go about recruiting support from people for your cause, given that the cause was not as popular at the beginning of when you started doing this versus as it is now? Well, we were a pioneering movement. And whenever you track that, you start with the visionaries, the real passionate folks. I find them really easy to identify. You you tell them your idea, your one-minute elevator pitch, and their eyes either sparkle or they start looking away or they change the subject. And so if their eyes sparkle, we collected them. And we did that around the world, including right where you are in Canada, in Vancouver. We had uh, Ray Cole at UBC. Uh, You might have heard of the Dockside Green Project. Yep. Uh, my buddy did that one, Lead Platinum. And so I could go through dozens of countries where we met people in the building industry. We said, we're going to create a guideline for what is a green building. We're going to create a nonprofit, open, transparent coalition of folks from architects and manufacturers to utilities, cleaning companies, tenants, artists, students, technologists. And together they'll define what is green building. And then they'll bring it in their language, their vocabulary to their world. So if you're a banker, you talk about the return on investment, the internal rate of return of green, the present value. If you're a lawyer, you talk about reduced risk. If you're a product manufacturer, you can talk about how huge this global marketplace is or was going to be and you create new products so you can create billions of dollars of new revenue and all that was wrapped up and so we went from the pioneers to the visionaries to the early mainstreams and we've been making our way through that progression for 20 years so so you tuned your story for each of the audiences so you're able to sort of dance on your feet read what the person says and then say oh well here's what's in it for you Okay. And that's essential. So in this show, 
and a lot of your avatar, Sarah's avatar, I'm not talking about environmental impact. I'm doing the personal biome and what is the impact of the building materials on your endocrine system, on your hormones, your circadian rhythm. We have a red list for building products. So I'm trying to pull it right into the health and productivity of the human body and even the spirit because daylighting, access to nature impacts every minute. Well, that, that was why I was originally attracted to having you on the show was, was that my experience is that the environment around me is so impactful on how I perform at all those levels, including even the spiritual level. Like there's some amount of like being in, in a flow state or in an uplifted state or just feeling like you're giving back. And if you're in a, and I hate to say this, when I think of lead buildings too often, I still think of like those curly Q, like fluorescent CFL bulbs that, that sort of everything's dim inside, but at least it has like a cool swoopy entrance. And that's not what lead is supposed to be, but that's what it was in, in the very early days where it was just bad lighting as far as I could tell. And it's progressed, there's LEDs in it, it's much better. But you can also just go to an office where it's like prison lighting, which is even worse, right? So... My experience is that the air quality and the lighting dramatically changes like employee absenteeism and how good people feel, how nice they are to each other. And I, I remember this time at, this is a company that, that invented cloud computing. It was called Exodus Communications, Google's first servers in our buildings. And I was one of the uh, senior people there. We built this four-story building, which for a long time became Yahoo's headquarters, um, right at the corner of Mission College and 101 in, uh, in Santa Clara, you know, downtown Silicon Valley. When we built this building, it had formaldehyde in everything. And I talked to the facilities manager and he said, oh yeah, we got to increase our building efficiency. So he turned on the air recyclers, which meant instead of paying for air conditioning of fresh, clean outside air with a faint scent of San Jose airport, what... <laughs> What he would do is he would just keep the air inside the building just boiling around over and over. And funny enough, everyone for those first six months had more allergies, quote allergies, than they'd ever had before. People were sick all the time. People were kind of not feeling so good. And I was dealing with my own toxin things at the time, so it affected me maybe more than others. But I could tell this isn't an allergy thing. It's the air has irritants, mostly formaldehyde, from all these new particle things we put up particle board. So that's just a visceral example for me where I could see how literally probably 800 people were lowered in their performance, both cognitively and just employee absenteeism by building decisions. And when you go shopping for furniture every day, you make those same decisions. When you paint your house, you make those same decisions. How do you translate that message for people who just don't? don't get it. Like if you go to a big company and you say, look, you're going to jack up everyone if you do this wrong. Is that how you do it? Or is there a more subtle message? Well, you're, you're hitting it. And that's what we call indoor environmental quality. And our subset is air quality. And in lead, there are points for that. And we re reward no VOCs, the volatile organic compounds. And we're encouraging building managers to get fresh air or air samples to measure whether it is indeed fresh and to have higher air filtration of outside air. And what they did in the 80s was they tightened up the, the buildings for energy efficiency. They didn't want to run the outside air because they'd have to condition it. And then we brought in all these toxic materials, formaldehyde, but also 
the paints have biocides and fungicides. They put in preservatives so that the shelf life of the paint is, it looks great three years from now, but really you need it now. You don't need it three years from now. Maybe you're doing touch-up, but all those preservatives are what, when they first apply it, the first coat make you sick. And so we need to get those things out. And in LEED, we're measuring them. We're setting standards for VOCs, both in terms of the individual element, and then we call it TVOC, the total VOCs. Uh, We're finding paints that are listing that, and you find them in the stores, whether it's Home Depot. It'll say no toxicity or no VOCs. We created a red list. Uh, There's another standard that was created near you called the Living Building Challenge. And it came out of our Cascadia chapter, which includes Vancouver. Yeah, I presented at the Cascadia conference about high-performance building environments last year. So cool. So you're all over that. And under Jason McLennan's leadership, they have a red list in the Living Building Challenge. It's got about 13 items that you can't certify you meet the Living Building Challenge if you have products or materials in the house or the building that has those ingredients. And if your architect or specifier can't find a given product without those ingredients, they send a note. They're required to send a letter to that firm and saying, I don't want your product, but I can't find a similar product without this ingredient. But be forewarned, the second someone makes that, we won't be buying your product. That is powerful. And if, if people would do me the favor of that with Bulletproof products, I would love to hear that. It's the same thing. If you're on a mission to make really clean, pure stuff like that, uh, you need to know what's bothering people, even if you don't know about it. And honestly, most manufacturers, I think they're clueless. Like They think about this like chemists. And they don't understand the interaction of their product with the endocrine system because, honestly, an endocrine system isn't something they think about. So for you to do that service and say, like, you've got this big sort of sort of Damocles hanging over your head and you don't even know it, that that it's there. And and the cord's going to break, the sword's going to fall on you, and it's going to break when someone comes out with a cleaner product. That's motivation for people um, who are running companies or building products. I, I've got to say, so I'm, I'm pretty into this stuff. You know, I've presented at that conference. I've read more than a few books and studied a few things here and there. Like I'm a biohacker. Um, I finally, after years um, up here in Canada, bought a house recently. And it had a toxic mold problem, like oh, half the, the houses up here. Every shower had leaked. So I pulled out all the mold stuff, did some custom things around that. But it needed a remodel in order to make it a, a place where I was going to put my family. I had a very hard time. I'm working with a, a green contractor, but a hard time knowing, okay, what products are safe to use. And, and I have to imagine, okay, I had a hard time with this, and I shouldn't have a hard time. If anyone on earth should be able to just go somewhere and find a list, I found it daunting. I worked with experts, and I did a good job. But there are still times where I'm like, are you serious? Is that actually particle board? Like, where did that particle board come from? Because I don't want formaldehyde in my house. One of the problems I have that most people don't, my wife, uh, Dr. Lana, went to medical school and she spent a lot of time with cadavers. And when you breathe formaldehyde from cadavers a long time, you can get sensitized to it. So she's sensitized to formaldehyde. So when she gets around press board furniture, she just doesn't feel good at all. She gets really bad migraine kind of headaches. So we're, we're overly sensitive to formaldehyde, you can say. But 
for the average person who's saying, I just want to paint my baby's bedroom and I'm going to do a quick remodel. Like, how do I know? There's like thousands of things. So David, you're the guy who created the lead standard. <laughs> you're like well, the father of the green building movement. Where's my list, man? Well, you're hitting a very tough area. Even for us, when we did our home renovation, the list didn't exist. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's happening. There are labeling systems are coming. The manufacturers are starting to disclose through the red list and something else called HPDs, health product declarations. We're, we're asking for the nutrition label so we can see if there's formaldehyde and other stuff. Uh, the Living Building Challenge has put out a list of products that um, go alongside the red list. Um, they're not doing it officially, but as a project goes through it, like the Bullet Center in Seattle is trying to do Living Building Challenge, and they have to research a lot of this. There's something called the, there's a healthy building collaborative. Um, but you've got to go back to the product and see their disclosures. So some of them are saying no VOCs, so you can buy a paint. Maybe I'll get in trouble, but Mythic Paint is what we used. It's a firm I work with, and it was invented for the multiple chemical sensitive, and that works. Um, in carpeting, you don't want to use adhesives if you can avoid it. Uh, there's a firm, Interface Carpet, that makes these 18-inch square carpet tiles that go down with no adhesive. And a lot of these guys are putting their products in air chamber tests and measuring their off-gassing curve over time. And we're starting to request that information and get it published way beyond the traditional manufacturer safety list that they did in the past. Um, it's always better to buy a solid wood, non-finished piece of furniture instead of these things that are made from who knows what is inside and held together with binders. Um, painting should be done offsite if you could do it. So there's a lot of methodologies and some books coming out to guide you through that process. Some of the best materials from the chemical sensitive folks who were also architects um, and you navigate. So, so your book, Explosion Green, definitely doesn't go into that side of things. It, it goes into the story of how to build a movement uh, from something that, that went from kind of zero to hero over the course of 20 years with a lot of just amazing work from you. Along the way, you mentioned you have paint for chemically sensitive. Are you chemically sensitive? I'm not, uh, although I have bad allergies. So you okay. can put a HEPA filter on your HVAC system, which we did in one of our houses. So the pollen isn't mm -hmm. brought in. Um, but yeah. Sarah's got some allergies as well. So we try to take your shoes off at the front door. You don't want to track in all that stuff. In Lead, you get a credit for a grate uh, that lets all your stuff fall down. You can collect it later instead of walking it through the house. But I think about 10% of Americans are chemically sensitive. And it's quite a lot. And it really impacts their productivity and health. One of the first lawsuits for indoor air quality was in the early 90s in D.C. And guess what building it was? It was um, a federal agency. <laughs> oh, I've read about this. Wasn't it like the EPA? Bingo. The EPA <laughs> employees sued the EPA when they put in the new carpet. And it had this thing called, I think it was called 4PC. It was their backing. 
on the carpet that made people sick and they refused to go to work. <laughs> and EPA settled it so that we wanted it to go to court so we could really put forward this issue publicly. That is truly funny when you think about it. Like, okay, their own employees know about indoor air quality. And I believe they've also had some problems with uh, indoor toxic mold, uh, which is maybe the flip side. And I'm, I'm working on a documentary right now about toxic mold and what it does indoor just in when people breathe it and how it completely can just change your brain long before it gives you cancer or something. Some of the energy efficient things that were precursors to lead have actually led to terrible problems with indoor moisture management and maybe a creation of an inadvertent secondary effect. So you make a, a well-sealed building that's so energy efficient that fungus starts to grow and then it gets recirculated and everyone gets sick, not from the formaldehyde or from the volatile organics, but from the actual bioaerosols that are formed when bacteria and mold grow inside the ductwork. How do you balance, don't put man-made chemicals in there, but also prevent nature's chemicals and defense systems from coming online and messing with the people who live there? Like it, it's a delicate balance. What, what's the answer? Well, proper ventilation is important, not just shutting it down. In fact, I like operable windows, even in million square foot, commercial, gorgeous platinum buildings. We're all different. Our hormones are different. Our body temperatures, Sarah had me for a while measuring my basic temperature versus <laughs> hers and my tea, this and that. The, the, these, uh, these female biohackers are relentless. I, I get it. What was it called? T3 she had me taking and... Um, <laughs> You know, she wants to sleep at 64 degrees, you know, which she thinks uh, that um, women in, in, in her state should do. And no guy wants to sleep at 64 degrees. <laughs> so proper ventilation is really important and clean air, uh, good air as well that's filtered. If you have a spill and a flood where your bathtub from your second floor leaks down and goes through your ceiling tiles and your drywall you've got to rip that out amen you can save your life and if it, maybe you don't feel it but someone in your family they just feel hungover all the time and they gain 30 pounds and they don't have any idea why uh, it, this has happened to me personally and 28 percent of people have the genes where it's going to permanently wreck them without a lot of interventions the rest of us just feel like crap all the time but we get better and it yeah you, you just got to do that it doesn't matter if it's a lead building or if it's really nice um, if you if it sat there for even a little while, if the drywall got wet, it's got to come out. And if you walk into even a hotel room and it smells that mildew and, and mold smell, don't rent that room. Yeah. And if you have to sleep in it, call the front desk, ask them for an air purifier. Most hotels have them. Open those windows, run that purifier. Better yet, just don't sleep there. I, I've swapped rooms twice uh, at four-star and five-star hotels sometimes there's one there was one in uh, london super nice brand new hotel the first story was one of those like half basements and it smelled it smelled like turtles like if your hotel room smells like turtles you should go and that's just the way it is because you think oh i can take it it's no big deal but you wake up the next morning and you actually get brain inflammation your brain cells can leak a little bit of fluid and then you sort of feel stupid and you might also get a cold, you might get a lot of post-nasal drip, but you lose your edge and you're quicker to anger and you're more emotionally volatile. These are subtle changes that have to do with sympathetic arousal, but 
you can get that from formaldehyde and fresh paint fumes. And, you know, they, they clean something in your hotel room with a really strong solvent like toluene or xylene or something. Or you can get it from the presence of these other things. But whichever one of those it is, if it smells like a chemical factory or one of those things, I, I would say, honestly, you're spending a couple hundred bucks minimum and maybe a lot more for a hotel room. They have to do what you want. And uh, th- there's a trick. I, I almost did this at the uh, was it the Shangri-La Hotel in Toronto on uh, this last trip where I was. I was a, a speaker at a conference there, and I showed up, and they had given away my room. My flight was three hours late. I got in at 1 a.m., and they said, oh, sorry, we kind of gave your room up. We're going to have to put you in another hotel. I'm like, because i got to be up at 6 a.m. tomorrow. I just want my sleep. And they said, no, no. And I said, that's okay. I'll sleep on the bench over there, like the one by the front desk. And they start looking alarmed. And then you say, <laughs> and then you say, oh, and I sleep naked. Right? <laughs> and when you say that, you're almost guaranteed you're going to get a hotel room because like the presidential suite magically opens up. Uh, so it's okay if they give you a room that's toxic for you to just say no. And it's actually, I don't know, I, I don't think it's a manly thing to do to say, you know, hey, I'll just, I'll just deal with it. I'll just, you know, I'll take the hit. No, like you paid for it. Like, get what you want. You really do. And uh, anything you buy, if it's off-gassing and you have a smell, you need to investigate. That that new car smell is not good for you. It's all the adhesives. And even your new car, if you have a garage, I, I would keep the windows open for about a month. And uh, keep that stuff out of the nursery, the, the new press board crib. Buy an old recycled one with solid wood that's off-gassed for 10 years already. That's what we did. Um, but all the stuff adds up. It makes you sick. It does lessen your your brain focus and, and your health and productivity. So, so I would love to get your take on this because no one's ever been able to tell me if what I did was smart or not smart. Um, a while back, I bought a Prius. Um, by the way, it was a horrible car. And even though it was fuel efficient, I sold it because I think it was unsafe to drive at any speed um, just because it was a terrible driving car. Anyway, it was also too small for me. But it smelled worse than any car I'd ever bought. It had this incredibly strong, like like kind of nausea-inducing smell. So I parked it in the sun turned on the heat at like 90, whatever, as high as it would go, and left it running for six hours and just baked the inside of it and opened the windows and like this wave of crap came out. And it seemed like that bake-out period really did release a lot of the organic solvents out. And it made a film of crap on the windows. I had to clean those off too. Um, good move or bad move? It's interesting. The very early standards had a, I think it was a one-week bake-off for the building in it. Just what you did. And and then I think it disappeared in later years because you do the bake-off, but then you need a certain period of running the fresh air before you come back in and have greatly accelerated your your toxicity of what you're inhaling. So I actually, I'm not a scientist in that area, but I believe you accelerated off-gassing greatly but then you have to have a period of really running the fresh air where you're yeah. not breathing in. And we recommend, I think it's about a week. Wow, I, I left the windows down for the next two days just to let you know a, a little bit of wind happen. But it seemed to really help. Like I, I could smell a lot less. So my assumption was that 
you know, it, it made a difference and I could drive the car without feeling like, God, am I breathing all the time? But so, that explains a lot. Thank you. Uh, I, I thought maybe you'd have a good answer on the bake out period because I never saw, saw any science for that. A joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's another kind of baking you do when you roll the windows up, but we're not talking about that. So. <laughs> now, speaking of that sort of thing, in addition to creating, you know, you're the father of the green building movement. You're also a serial entrepreneur, and you've been remarkably successful in, in multiple endeavors. I want to pick your brain about what you do to stay at your peak performance. Like, like, what are your tricks personally to be an entrepreneur and this guy with enough energy to go all these states and countries and convince people to do stuff that's hard? You know, I call it a green hacker, um, playing off of your biohacker. <laughs> I like it. I came up with that for this show. But it's hard. Honestly, a lot of the years it felt like Sisyphus and, you know, I'd push that ball up the hill and the second I would take a deep breath, the ball would start rolling back down. And what I realized was my light inside, my spirit was going out. And how do you keep the flame going, the renewable flame? And over many years, I've had to find different ways. First is just meeting really bright, engaged, creative, passionate people. Because I find they can restore your spirit. They, when you're down, you can tell them you're down. And they're always doing cool things, and that's exciting. And, and that helps a lot. So we're always, I'm always meeting bright people and asking them what gives them hope. In fact, my Entheos 40 interviews, my last question, of the brightest people I could get my hands on in the world, I said, what gives you hope that we're going to make it as a species? And where did we go wrong? And what are you working on that's disruptive and has quantum leaps in performance to convince you and me that we're going to make it? And that rekindled my spirit more than anything. Um, but I also... I'm a backpacker, hiker, fly fisherman. I walk through rivers and I go up the stream for a whole day. A great day. I don't talk to anybody. <laughs> and I so so you're, you're an introvert then? Very introverted. I write books, which is cathartic. I like deep, meaningful conversation. Um, exercise and getting the endorphins helps a ton. And trying to think what else restores the spirit certainly hugs for some of the <laughs> the oxytocin as sarah taught me uh but and nature i just feel like i'm from nature so walking in nature recently i've been i had this goal of buying one new plant a day on the way home oh wow and planting it that night and getting my fingers dirty and, and connecting with the soil. And I can't tell you how much I love watching them every day. How are they doing? Are they growing? And I think it's just reconnecting me to nature from, from where I came. So, so you get your resilience and your kind of your regeneration from interacting with bright people and from spending time in nature and even from, it sounds like from some gardening. Like, so those are the practices that you've built and sounds like some relationship things as well, um, i.e. frequent hugs. Well, and deep, meaningful dialogue. And a lot of that I get with Sarah. 
I, I'm the type that I can't do anything until I can answer all the why questions. So you do a lot of thinking. Got it. A lot of time in your head. Well, and looking for the answers. If, if everyone's in a line and say, hey, man, get in line. They're giving out gold at the front of the line. I don't just get in the line. I want to go to the front and check it out first and make sure it's not <laughs> fool's gold. Right. You know? And if I'm going to invest, I have to believe in, in the transformational elements of it and the heart and the soul of the person I'm working with. So, so you sound like a guy who, who knows yourself pretty well, right? Now, we have a lot of listeners who are driving in rush hour traffic right now listening to this. Uh, in fact, tons of people uh, just like this is what they do during their commute. So you're at a point in life where you've had significant success. You've figured these things out. But how is someone who's, let's say, 25 going to figure out what what pushes their buttons, what their regenerative practice should be? Like, how did you go about figuring out yours? Well, it's interesting. I did grow up backpacking, and that helped learn that I had my own voice. And I, it was hard to hear it in the house I grew up in. There's a lot of loud voices, mostly from New York in my house. <laughs> <laughs> and later years, it, it, when I was an undergrad, I was in all the classes trying to do well. But again, they were just feeding us all the equations, but not why that equation is important. So I started reading Siddhartha by Herman Hesse. And I'd sit at, every year on my birthday, I read the whole book. I sit at the fountain in the middle of the campus. And I just did this a uh, couple months ago at my birthday in May. And it's mostly learning to hear your own voice. It's learning to listen to your own soul and quieting all that noise from outside telling you, here's what's right for you. Or even, you know, stop your playful spirit and become an adult. The second they tell you to become an adult, they mean don't play anymore, don't dream. Uh, I remember when I wanted to create the green building movement, my father, who I just adore and love and owe so much to him, he, I quit being a real estate developer, pretty good career, he said, well, this green building stuff is a good gimmick, but don't come home when you starve. And hundreds just laughed at us. And so I needed that conviction to, to hear, no, this is solid. Uh, this is real. This connects with my definition of value, that value is life and life enhancing, not just putting up McMansion buildings and putting out your hand to make millions. And so the young people, you need to listen to yourself because I really think the answers are inside of you. And I think our divine path is given to us and you have to find it. And it's not something someone else is going to tell you. Yeah, that, uh, that internal reflectiveness is something that I probably didn't benefit from as a young entrepreneur, as a young man. It, it, you, you tend to be so focused on, you know, performing and executing and making money and doing deals and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I'm, I consider myself fortunate that I found some biohacking tools that made it much easier for me to, to get some of that, uh, to be able to understand what, what keeps me going, what makes me motivated. And it's, it, it's a practice in and of itself to figure out, well, wait, why am I more motivated today than I was yesterday? And was it how I slept or was it the way I interacted with other people? 
And sometimes it's, it's weird. Like, uh, um, there are a whole variety of practices around even things as simple as, uh, you know, making facial contact with people. You mentioned hugs and things like that. Um, I, I find one thing that works pretty amazingly for me is I, I just get random messages from people I've never met who they just sometimes say, hey, I wanted to take a minute and say thanks because I just lost X amount of weight or because I got my brain back or, I, you know, I can drink coffee again or whatever, whatever impact that work has had on them or I just had a healthy baby, whatever it is. And I'm like, wow, I'm motivated all day long because I got this little you know, three-sentence message. Uh, so for me, getting feedback that what I perceive as helping others is actually having an impact was one of the things that kind of keeps me in a flow state and, and makes me motivated to you know, write the next thing or do the next thing. Is that a part of what keeps you motivated too? Yeah, I think you, you said it right on. And ultimately, it's about impact. And what kind of impact are we making? And in your short stay here, what do you want to hear at the end of your life? What kind of legacy would you like to hear? And you know, just making a pot of money and your whole family suing each other over it, <laughs> is that an impact? Are you you're so wealthy at five homes and a jet? You know, that's okay. But the, the book you just wrote, Dave and and the products you're putting out and your search for clean, both inside and what you put in your mouth that that's a legacy bigger than you. And I think for the young and and those of us who don't know how much time we have left, looking at our impact is huge, and that drives me. In fact, that tr- drove me more than anything because I wanted a do something good in my life. I, I wanted to live a life of mission and purpose. And um, I wanted to plant seeds that could pull the CO2 out of the atmosphere, but also grow into beautiful forests. And I trying to water them a bit while I'm still here. But I, I'm hopeful that when I'm not here, that good is in the wor- world creating, a, I call it a negative eco footprint. So it's a I want to sprout an economy that's a mega footprint economy. So the products and services that we put into the world are doing good. They're regenerating the air, the soil, the water, our spirit. Well, that's a pretty amazing legacy to leave. Um, that's for sure. Now, that's a perfect segue into the final question, the one I know you're probably expecting and the one I hope <laughs> you didn't prepare for. And this is a question that I've asked all the guests on the show. And the question is, of all the things you've learned in your life, many of which, by the way, are in your book, Explosion Green, which, which is a really neat memoir. Um, but not just that stuff, but everything that you know, the three most important recommendations you've, you'd have for people at any age, any walk of life in order to perform better and kick more ass at life. So three most important things you've learned. I think the first one I just mentioned, you know, be true to yourself. How do I say it? Be true to thine self. <laughs> because that will steer you in the right direction. If you're really passionate on the second item about something, don't accept the no. And work really hard to convert the no into a profound, bold yes. Everything I ever love had a no <laughs> attached to it. 
And I even created a whole green consulting career based on no's. So whenever someone said a no, uh, this can't be done, I worked hard to turn it around and became a specialist who could take on the things that couldn't be solved. So that fighting spirit created a, a maverick niche where I could charge the highest rates. Third would be learn to say, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, that's the first time that's come up in, oh, like 120 something episodes. That's a cool one. All right. Tell me more about why sorry. And it took me a lot of therapy. So I just saved you <laughs> gazillions of time and money. And sorry is linked to ownership. And um, not trying to convince that person, you know, that they didn't understand you and what they didn't hear. Or, but just, you know what, you're right. I screwed up and I'm sorry. And I could do better. I hear you. And that took most of my alpha male <laughs> big ego years to, to try to do. And Sarah and I have something uh, someone taught us called a lifeboat. Uh, so the B is a bid. So you say to your partner, you're, you're struggling with, um, can we do a lifeboat? That's the bid. The O is I'll do an ownership, you do an ownership. And you got to be quiet when the other person's doing I'll do an appreciation, you do an appreciation, that's the A. And then I'll, uh, the T is the touch. Let me give you a big hug now. We, and you've repaired. You see, our kids need repair from the adult, and that's what keeps them off the shrink's couch in the future. Got it. Interesting. So you've defined a process where you, there's an initiation protocol and then uh, interesting. It sounds like a TCP IP handshake to me, but hey, that's just because I'm a network engineer the way I think about things. <laughs> that's pretty cool. And we and were I, given that. I don't want to claim ownership for it. it, it it's a neat idea uh, in a relationship to be able to have something like that. So that that's kind of part of part of your I'm sorry, number three thing where you actually have a protocol for that where you can take ownership of it. That's your apology. And the other person sort of accepts and acknowledges it. And then you get a hug. That's cool and, and admirable. So thanks for sharing that with all the well, probably 50,000 or so people who are listening to this right now. So um, much appreciated. David, where can people learn more about your latest book about lead buildings and about the work you've done as the father of the green building movement? Sure. So my personal website is explosiongreen.com. And you can also get a, a link there to the free conference I'm doing in September with these gurus. Uh, the book's also at Amazon. And then if you're interested in LEAD, go to usgbc.org and click on LEAD, L-E-E-D. And you can download for free LEAD for Homes or LEAD for New Construction. Uh, if you're global and you're interested in the World Green Building Councils, go to World gbc.org and you can see our 100 countries listed there alongside the Canada GBC. <laughs> David, thanks again for being on the show. We'll post links to all of those things on the show notes uh, for this when it goes live. And I uh, really, really appreciate all the work you've done on making buildings healthier places for people to live in.
Well, thank you for having me and thanks for your spirit and your biohacking and the legacy you're creating. It's influenced me and in, in my life. Much appreciated. If you're looking for a way to know which foods are making you weak, check out the free app called Bulletproof Food Sense. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.